Well, good morning again, Dorisville. Let me add my greetings that Brent's already given you. Thank you so much for coming and worshiping with us. We are very excited that you're here today. And we're going to be really excited next week. If history is an indicator, and you always got to say that, there will be about 575 to 600 people on our campus next week. And uh, that's a very exciting thing. It's exciting every week, but we have that many different folks coming in. Now, let me encourage you. I wrote my article this week. Let me encourage you regular Dorisville folks. And um, just be sure and be extra generous in your, in your patience next week. Um, give the best seats to our guests, the best parking to our guests. Put on a big old smile. Extend that hand. Go out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's hard to shake hands with folks you don't know and greet people you don't know. But let them know that we think and we believe that we're the friendliest church in town. And give them a really good reason to come back the week after Easter. All right? Now, we're going to start a new series, a three-week series, based on faith, talking about faith this week. And the uh, first week is going to be fantastic faith. And I want to, I want to tell you today... What amazed Jesus? Now, there are, very, there are very few things in the Bible where Jesus says, and he was amazed. We'll talk about that today. Amazing or fantastic faith. Then next week, we're going to talk about flatline faith. It happens to be one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, I preached it several years ago, I think on Easter Sunday, as a matter of fact. But I just love it. And uh, I've been asked to speak uh, to uh, give the annual message at the uh, IBSA annual meeting in Springfield this year. And I intend, Ford lets me, to use that scripture in a different context even then. Then the third week, we're going to talk about frail faith. When you doubt, when, when your, your faith in God might be shaken. So I hope you'll come back the next three weeks as we talk about faith because it's really important. In fact, speaking of that, so I, I did a little Google search. And, you know, there are certain things physically um, that are very, very important. For instance, like food. So I said to Google, I said, tell me about how long can a person go without eating? Okay, now these are general. There's always extremes in both ways. Some people, you know, if you're really thin to start with, you don't make it this long. And if you're just like a super good health, you can go further. But the bottom line is you can go about, are you ready for this? About eight weeks without eating. Now, let me put a caveat on that, okay? That does not include badness. We can only go eight hours, okay? But, but, but in general, people can go eight weeks without eating. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it really is. Now, again... Understanding that these are general terms, okay, but how long can you go without water? Well, you'd only go about three days. Okay, again, we've all the stories about guys who are stuck in, in sea and, and they made it further than that. But generally speaking, the body shuts down or definitely begins to shut down after about uh, three days uh, without water. And then, and then, you know, really it gets even shorter. You know, if you're in the wrong environment, like it's freezing cold, if you have to fall into a, a river, you know, you've got a very limited time, about 12 to 15 minutes, and you're going to die from exposure that quick. And then, and then breathing. You know, breathing is kind of important. And um, you can go, now again, there are stories, there are men who train, and there's professional divers. They can go longer, but generally speaking, about, about three minutes. And if you don't get air... Then you're going under. So, so there's definitely some physical things that are very limited. Food, water, environment, and especially air. But here's the question today. If you are a Christ follower today, how long can you go or what kind of faith must you have to sustain you? Now, we don't really think about faith in that way. But, you know, the Bible's got some clear indicators that how important faith should be to our everyday walk. And what really makes this difficult is, is once again, I know you get tired of me saying this, but because we're so blessed in America, most of us didn't wake up this morning wondering where dinner was going to come from 
or where are we going to sleep at night? But to a large portion of the world, or someone's going to knock on our door and arrest us for, for being a Christian or kill us for being a Christian. But, but the bottom line is, regardless of where you live, and that includes North America and, and you know, where we live, you know, faith is a crucial part of who we are. How important, how often do we think about our faith? It's really, really crucial. Now, now first off, I really believe, and I'm going to show you a scripture in just a moment, that you've got to have faith to be a believer. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but here's the deal. I think probably in America, most of us have a weakened faith, and yet we still are believers in Christ, but we live with a weakened faith. As an example, we go to Africa, and we see people that they're hungry, but they get just enough food to sustain life, and they, they keep going, even though they're very near starvation, there's enough calories to keep them alive. We've seen people that live, you know, eat on, well, what's that? There's some kind of thing they eat over in Africa that has really no nutritional value whatsoever, but it makes them feel full. And so, so because I remember Steve Buxton coming back from Haiti and talking about the mud patties that, that they, they eat there because they're hungry and they're dying if they give them a, a feel, you know, feeling of being full. Um, water. I'll never forget when, when I was over in Africa, that trip, uh, when we were doing the food and, and everywhere we went, they bring us a gift. And we went out in the middle of the desert and there's this tent thing up. And, and in the middle of the room, and we had gotten little trinkets and leather pouches and things. But in the, in the middle of the tent was a metal bowl. I can still see it in my head. A metal bowl. And in that metal bowl was dirty water. And I mean, you would call it dirty water. And in that dirty water were mosquito larvae. And they were swimming. And that was their drinking water. That was the best they had. And, of course, because of that, you know, the average Touareg person lives to be about 50 years old. There's just so little, there's so little there um, that they have that will sustain life, but they're able to live. Now, in China, people have asthma and lung cancer so much because the air is not sometimes polluted, it's always polluted. So, so we can extend life and sustain life with a weak faith, but it's never what God intended it to be. So, so our first scripture, and these are, just, these are just all introduction scriptures, and I've got to really keep this moving. Y'all remind me to do that. You know, first off, I really believe that faith is essential to being a believer in Jesus Christ. Over in the book of um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, here's what it says. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, which is really cool if you think about it. He was not found because God had taken him. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if all of a sudden psst, you're gone and you're like you disappeared because God took you? He goes on and says this. Um, before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And here's the statement I want you to get. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. We know, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith, and that now yourselves is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So, so it's, it's, it's essential to pleasing God is, is through faith, that we be a people of faith. Now listen to this, uh, over in um, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 8. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We know that. For we walk or we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, so Paul teaches us that our life, now listen Christians, our life is to be one of faith. That, that we, the, the journey we take, and he used the word walk, but our lifestyle is to be one where we constantly follow faith. And now, um, Michael W. Smith wrote a song called Breathe. Let me read the words to you. This is the air I breathe. 
This is the air that I breathe. Your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread. He says, my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. Listen, and I'm desperate for you and I'm I'm lost without you. So just like after week number two, we would be so desperate for food. And just like after a day, we'd be desperate for water. And just like we're desperate to be able to breathe, so Jesus Christ, so God, this God that David talked about in worship, that God, we should be so desperate to walk with him. And that all happens by and through faith. Now, Hebrews 11, 1 is probably the, the, uh, the biggest definition that we have of faith in the Bible. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith requires us to see beyond. Um, Patrick Overton wrote something. This is the Dwayne Taylor translation, but it's really good. I gave it to you probably eight years ago. He is, according to him, he says, faith is going as far as you can go, as far as you can see. And faith is stepping out into the darkness, knowing one of two things will happen. Either you will step on something solid or God will teach you to fly. That's really cool. That's very, very cool. So, so faith is essential. But I think it's important, too, that we have the right kind of faith. Brother David was speaking in, in Ruth. And, and, and he brought up a topic that I thought, and I'd heard the very same thing. And I think the first way I'm going to read this sentence, I'm going to read it because I'll probably get it wrong if I don't. Because it's so easy for me to get things mixed up in my brain. But I'm going to read something that I think is really a misrepresentation of faith. And really of God. Here's what it says. Faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. Faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. So, so some people have a kind of faith that says it's not about God being able to, it's all about God doing what I want Him to do. And that sort of implies to me that somehow we have a weak God and we're smarter than Him. And so what we need to do is we have to be sure and tell God exactly what He needs to do. It's not believing that He can, it's believing that He will. So if I have God for a particular healing in my life, that God, you, now listen, I'm smarter than you. I know you're created the universe. And I know you made everything, but, but God, I'm smarter than you. And this is what you need to do in my sister's life, my brother's life, or even in my life. I really think that's twisted. And it's kind of like me going to Albert Einstein and telling him about physics uh, if he were alive. It's just not possible. I mean, I mean, math and science were my very weakest topics, and he's a genius, and I'm certainly not. And so I want, to, I want you to get the idea that God really is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So it's not about, faith isn't about me telling God what I need and give me what I want. But rather it's this, listen to this. Faith is not believing that God will, necessarily, but that God can. That's true faith. It's believing that God can. It's believing that our God. Now, now again, this is so perfect for this week. Because Thursday night, we will celebrate in our own way our Lord and Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is, I'm sorry, but he is dreading what's about to take place. I think he's physically dreading it because he has a human body and he knows what crucifixion entails. He knows what the beating entails. He knows what the crown of thorns entails. He knows, what, he knows what it entails to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross. But I think more than that, he is God. And he is fixing to become sin. The wrath of his father, I know this is, you know, you have the Trinity thing, but the wrath of the father is being poured out on the son, but the wrath is being poured out on God on the cross. And he becomes our sin. And because he becomes our sin, all the wrath so that he can atone for our sin is poured out on him that day. 
He, he, again, he hears what we will not hear as believers when he cries out, My God, my God, why has, have you forsaken me? And God turned his back on his son like he'll never turn his back on us as believers. That God turns his back on his son because of the sin that he had become. But in the garden, knowing all of that, he says, if there's any way, and this is proper way to pray, whether it be, whether it be an illness or whether it be a job loss, where it might be, is this. He says, if there's any way this cup can pass, if there's any way that you can heal, if there's any way you can provide a job, if there's any way, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. But I like the way Andy Stanley put it. When there's a man who predicts his own death and dies and resurrects and pulls it off, he predicts that, I'm going to go with him. And I'm going to go with the faith like Jesus had. I'm not going to go with the faith of some of the, the, uh, the preachers today. And, and, and particularly in this last 60 or 70 years, we've come up with this Pentecostal kind of faith. And that's certainly not a slam against the denomination as much a description. That, that God, you, know, you exist for me, so I want you to pull it off. Rather, I think it's really a call for us to trust God. So, what we want to do today, and again, I'm going to be very careful with time because we've got a long way to go. I want to look at Luke chapter 7. Our entire series is coming from Luke chapter 7. The first thing we're going to look at today is this fantastic faith. A faith that calls Jesus to go, wow, wow. So take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to read really through verse number 5. And then we're going to talk a little bit through and then we're going to go back with five things that can strengthen our faith. So let's look at Luke chapter 7, verses number 1 through 5 to start. The Bible says... Now, when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Now, by the way, a centurion is a Roman officer in charge of 100 soldiers. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So when he heard about Jesus, isn't that cool? It's amazing. When people hear about church, nothing happens. When people hear about religion, nothing happens. When they hear about a certain preacher, nothing happens. But when you hear about Jesus, things change. Things change. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him. And we're going to hear why in just a moment. Pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now that's what we want to pick up on the sermon sheet. So Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house... Now listen, the centurion, the Roman soldier, the Roman officer, sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Now listen, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But here it is. But just say the word, and my servant will be cured. Now this is so incredible. Now if there's one thing a Roman soldier was... I'm sorry, a Roman officer was arrogant. Arrogant. I mean, they were just, they, you know, a Roman soldier was the enemy. A Roman officer was the captain of the enemies. And they were just so arrogant in their power and, and their invincibility. Yet this man says, Jesus, don't even come to my house because I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. In fact, the reason I didn't come myself to, the reason I didn't come myself to talk to you is I'm not even worthy to come into your presence. But here's what I know. I believe, I have faith 
that if you'll just speak the word, then my servant will be healed. Wow, how about that? That's just incredible, incredible faith. And now listen, now he explains the logic that led him to that conclusion. Here's what he says. Verse number 8. For I too, in other words, Jesus, you and I share something. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does that. He says, Jesus, we have this thing in common. I know you're a Jew and I'm a Roman and our worlds are so far apart. But there is something that we share. And what we share is this. I have authority. I I know these Roman soldiers obey me for one reason. I have been given authority by the Roman government. And because of that authority, when I speak to one of these lowly soldiers, they go. And when I tell them to come, they come. And the slaves, because I'm the master... I have authority that when I tell them to do something, they do it. And Jesus, we're alike. Now, he he may have said, I don't understand your authority, but I know this. You have an authority that a normal man does not have. And was he right? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus was a man under the authority of God the Father. And he says, because you have that authority, I don't understand it, Jesus. But you can say to a lame person, be healed, and they're healed. And you can say to a sick person, be healed, and they're healed. You can even say to a dead person, get up, and they get up. Jesus, I don't understand your authority, but this I know. It gives you power to do what no other man can do. And let me pause here and say, time out. Church, we need to embrace this. You know, my brother Tim Darty said it in Africa. When we go to Africa or Nicaragua or Haiti or across the street, when we gather here today, we do not gather in the authority of the Selene Baptist Association, the Illinois Baptist State Association, the Southern Baptist Convention. We do not meet under the authority of a pastor or a staff. We do not meet under the authority of a family in the church. We do not meet under the authority of the trustees of the church or the deacons of the church. We gather ourselves together under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak with the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. That is really a game changer. And so this man says, I don't understand your authority, but you've got it. So just speak the word. This ought to bless your heart. Now, again, keep it in context, the will of God. I cannot, I want to be very careful to make that clear. But Jesus, you have the authority to speak to an illness. And please, and by the way, that authority has not changed. God still heals today. God still changes lives today. God still sets men free from alcohol and from drugs. He still does. He's not gone out of the miracle working business. He's still there. In fact, again, I said it to one day about Bill and Ross. You know, I'd look at the person next to you and they are believers. Every believer here today is a miracle of God. A miracle of God's amazing and wonderful grace. So, so after he said this, the Bible says in verse number 9, So when Jesus heard this, and he was amazed at him. I mean, again, now... This is only said a couple times in our Bible. I mean, that Jesus was amazed at anything. But what's incredible is that he's amazed. That's what he says. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith 
even in Israel. First off, this is a huge put down to the nation of Israel. I mean, they're the God followers. They're the God people. And here's a pagan Roman, maybe a nice Roman, but he's still a Roman. And Jesus says, speaking of him, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Now, you've got to go. That's just incredible. Besides the fact he's a Roman. But that Jesus paused his life and said, guys, if you want a picture of incredible faith, it's looking at this man. And this man simply believed that God, that Jesus had this powerful authority to speak to things and it changed. Do you understand all about Jesus being the Messiah and Jesus being the king? No. They simply exercised faith and recognized that Jesus was a man under authority. It's incredible. Now, I have to, I have to take you here. Because there is another time, and I, I meant to get this on my little note sheet for, for scriptures. Because I think the English Standard Version, I think, and I think the Holman Christian Standard uses um, the correct verse. And Mark chapter 6 and verse number, let me find it here, 6, 1 through 6. Read this with me if you want to take your Bibles real quick. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Because this is something we need to hear also. Then he, Jesus, went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished at his saying. Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now listen, listen. This, you want to know what lost people struggle with? You're fixing to hear it. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And are not these his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. Now he could not do many mighty works there except they laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he New King James marveled, and I think it's Holman Christian Standard, English Standard, it may not be, and he was amazed because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, my question has to be this. Is Jesus amazed today at our belief, our faith, or is he amazed at our unbelief, our lack of faith? So I would, I would love as a pastor, personally, Dwayne Taylor, and then also as the pastor of, of this body, the under-shepherd of this body, to help us grow in our faith. To once again make faith the priority that it needs to be. Because I promise you, listen, in our culture, many of us go through day after day after day without really exercising the kind of faith that this man had. I mean... Like leaning on God, like totally dependent on God, like afraid to make the next decision, like afraid to make the next step until we consult with God and exercise uh, our faith and believe that he wants us to get the answer. So, so how can we grow our faith? That's the whole point. How can we grow our faith? All right. Now, this is this again will be on your sermon sheet. But um, North Point Community Church, the staff of North Point Community Church interviewed literally hundreds of believers. And here's what they asked. Tell me the things that helped your faith to grow the most. And over and over again, they began to see a pattern of something that increased their faith. And I want real quickly, we've got about 15 minutes. That's probably not going to happen, is it? That's probably not. 
And, and, and in a short period of time, and Dr. Maybe we'll come back to a series on this. I want to give you those five things. I tweaked them a little bit just for us. But the five things that they saw in believers over and over again that helped them grow in their faith. All right. Now, the first thing you'll see on your sermon sheet is impactful teaching. Now, because I wanted an adjective, really you could say teaching that impacts or impactful teaching. Teaching that's full of impact. All right. Now, this is hugely important. Now, now what, we, what I want you to see is this. Teaching, and this is our responsibility. This is David's responsibility. This is Brent's responsibility. And this is my responsibility. And frankly, if you're a teacher in a Sunday school class, particularly our adult and youth, it's also your responsibility. Any person who has the pulpit in a room somewhere and has a microphone, perhaps, needs to be sure that we have impactful teaching. Now, let me tell you what that means to me. I've got the microphone, so I'll tell you what it means to me. I honestly believe that teaching that takes place in a Sunday school room or in a youth room or here needs to be teaching from the Bible and only the Bible, and that can be applied and life-changing. It goes somewhere, listen, it goes somewhere beyond just knowledge. I mean, I know, you know, well, I can't, I, I can't impress you with my Greek. The best I can do is tell you about a Greek restaurant we ate at when we were in Germany in 1977. I don't know much Greek. I read the commentaries and use it that. I can't read Greek. I don't understand Greek. All right? So I, I couldn't impress you with my Greek um, if, if I tried. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with Greek. But, but when you stand up and we, all we talk about is Greek, 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 and knowledge, 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 there's a very strong possibility that may not impact nor change your life. Again, Jesus was the kind of teacher that when he taught, he made it understandable a life-changing and applicable to their lives. And my goal, I want you to hear me. My sermons may not be the deepest in the world. I understand that. But God has gifted me, I think, to try to teach the Word of God in a way that the average person can understand it. And my heart's desire, the reason I, I told Tim this in Africa, the reason God created me, my purpose in life, is to teach the Word of God. And so I want you to know that that's my heart and that's my passion. This is not something I arbitrarily do. There's a lot of stuff I do because I'm the pastor during the week. But when I had the privilege of standing before you and I had the microphone and get to share, it would be a Sunday night or Wednesday night. I know these guys feel the same way. Feel the same way. It's to give you the Word of God. And notice I said the Word of God, not my opinion, not what I think it ought to mean. To try to give you the Word of God in a way that you can apply and in a way that can change your life. Now, your responsibility is to listen, and your responsibility is to apply it in your way. It's not enough to come fill a seat in a sanctuary, and six minutes after the sermon's over, you're trying to pick out what kind of chicken you want at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and can't remember a word the pastor said. Where that means taking notes, where that means listening carefully, how that means your job is to listen and get the word. Our teaching position, our, our teaching responsibility is to give you the word in such a way that you can grasp it and understand it. Now listen to, listen to Psalm 119. All of Psalm 119 is just about, about the word of God. Listen to it. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes. See the depth there? Teach me what it means. Teach me what it means. And I will always keep them. In other words, hey, teacher, give me something I, I can grasp and I will apply it to my life. He goes on. 
Help me understand your instruction. Another word like me. Help me to understand your instruction and I will obey and follow it. Put it out there in a way that I can grasp it and get it and I will try to follow it with all my heart. Verse 35. Help me stay on the path of your commands for I take pleasure in it. I honestly believe that the average believer in Jesus Christ wants to be an obedient follower. Wants to follow the word of God. Lord, make it in such a way that we can stay on your path. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Lord, Lord, help me to see the value of the word of God and, and the meaninglessness of pursuing nothing but wealth. T- turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence to you. So teaching is vital. And by the way, I'm going to give it to you now and I'll give it to you later. Church is important. In a culture that when people are going, church isn't relevant, well, it's our job to make it relevant and be sure we teach the Word of God, but it's your responsibility again to get here as often as you can. Make, make the teaching time, whether it be Sunday school or here, a priority in your life. So, impactful teaching. Now, the second one is this. Impactful relationships. Now, some of you students have not discovered this yet. You will. Many of us have lived long enough to understand that relationships are very, very, very important. People impact us. Now, some people are impactors and some people get impacted. And most of us are, are the people that get impacted. Usually, in every relationship, we get something from the person. Now, we've got to determine personally, are we going to be Winnie the Pooh or Enor? You know, Winnie the Pooh was this bubbly guy. Everything, you know, the glass was always full. You know, he enjoyed life. He spread joy. He was infectious wherever he went. Now, Enor, on the other hand, was the most negative person you can imagine. Nothing was ever good. Nothing was ever right. If you imagine Enor in your brain, if you know Winnie the Pooh and Enor, Enor's this donkey. He's sitting down, his head's down like this. And then Winnie the Pooh's eating the honey. See, he's a badness. Eating the honey and enjoying that. So we got to decide, what, first off, what kind of person are we going to be as we walk through life? Are we going to be a Winnie the Pooh, an encourager, a spirit lifter, or are we going to be Enor that it seems like their spiritual gift is pulling people down? We've got to determine that. Now, now the second thing you've got to know, and yet you need to understand, is this. Is that the Bible's clear, but in Proverbs it's just rich speaking about relationships. Here's what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So in relationships, just like iron that is scraped against iron gets sharper and sharper, we need to make sure, now listen, listen, we need to make sure that we find relationships where we be sharpened and not dulled. Now, I'm not saying, listen, they're lost people, and as long as you separate yourself from lost people, they will never get saved. I'm talking about in the meaningful relationships. The, the person that you are most intimate with, and by the way, just for free, man, that means another man does not need a woman besides your wife. Come on. And ladies, you do not have an intimate relationship outside of your husband. Make sure it's a woman. But you need to have meaningful relationships where you are sharpened when you're made better by the people that you hang around. Impactful Relationships. Listen, to this. this is a great verse. Look at Proverbs uh, thirteen twenty. This is the ESV. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You, you need to write that down. So, if we choose in our relationships to walk with wise, what's going to do? What's going to happen to us? Wise. But 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 what if? What if we walk with the fools? 
we will suffer harm. Now, again, I, I'm sorry we, we, I got too much material probably, but here's the bottom line. Bottom line is this. First off, students and single people, be careful who you choose. Because I know, I know, we've all heard it. You know, I'm going to pull him up. I'm going I'm to save him. I'm going to redeem him. I, I, you know, I'm going to date him and he's going to become a believer and we're going to go to the mission field together. Eh, probably not. You know what? Fools tend to make fools, but then wise people make fools wise. We get pulled down. People, we're easier pulled down than lifting up. Now, I know someone's going around and say, but Brother Dwayne, I dated a lost guy, and he was really bad, and now he's a Christian, and he's serving God. Congratulations for being the exception. It doesn't make it right. The Word of God says that, you know, what fellowship have, have light with darkness? It does not. Don't be unequally yoked together. Be careful. Now, that's marriage and dating. And students, you need to hear that. And single people, you need to hear that. But the bottom line is, it's true also in relationships across the board. Who are you going to play softball with? You know, who are you going to hang with? Guys, ladies, who are you going to hang with? And the Bible says that when we walk with the wise, we become wiser. Iron sharpens iron. But if we're not careful when we hang with fools, then we will suffer harm. Those that say you might suffer harm, you will suffer harm. The third thing is this. Impactful disciplines. Let me just read this first. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control, discipline in all things. Now, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So here's what Paul says, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 9. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And that does not talk about losing salvation. It talks about being a believer, okay, and getting distracted and losing your way. And then when it comes time for the Bema seat or the judgment, you know, the, the great white, ah, the judgment seat of Christ, where rewards are given out, there's no reward. Because you're disqualified. You started the race a second too early or a tenth of a second too early and you're disqualified at the start. Paul says, I am disciplined so that I will finish well. A disciplined environment produces faith. When we choose to be a disciplined Christian, now again, this is huge. I'm not sure exactly when quiet times went out of vogue, but they need to get back in vogue. I'm not sure when consistent church attendance went out of vogue, but we need to be consistent. I'm not sure when, when now lay me down to sleep became the standard prayer, but we need to learn pray again. So, so, so what does all that look like? How, how does that all work out? Well, let, me, let me tell you something. First off, you need to read the Word. You need to be in the Word daily. Now listen, guys. I'm telling you, I don't get a pay raise if all y'all start reading your Bible. You know? I'm telling you as your pastor, I love you, and I'm telling you from personal experience that when we're in the Word consistently, it changes us. So, so we're in deacons meeting, and Donnie handed out our deacons magazines. And here's what it says in the deacon magazine. Check this out. On the positive, yeah, on the positive side, first it talks about the struggles that men have. On the positive side of the struggles men face, it has been shown that if a person, 
a person, not necessarily a man, a person engages in the Bible four or more times a week, their odds of giving in to temptation decreases. If you're in the Word of God four or more times a week, the odds of your giving in to temptation changes. Well, Dwayne, how much? The temptation to get drunk drops 62%. The chances of viewing pornography drops 59%. Four times a week or more in the Bible. Having sex outside of marriage drops 59%. The chances of gambling drop 45%. Lashing out, losing it in anger drops 31%. If you have a propensity to gossip, four more times in the Word of God drops it by 28%. Lying, 28%. Neglecting family, 26%. This is kind of where I'm not, you say I'm not there yet. Overeating and mishandling food, 20%. Mishandling money, 20%. Isn't that incredible? Come on, ain't that incredible? I mean, you're sitting there saying, well, you're sitting there going, you're going, well, I don't want to cheat on my wife. Well, the, the Bible, just, I mean the Bible, the survey says that when we get in the Word of God at least four times a week, that's not, that's not, a, the bottom line is if you get in the Word, it's going to change your life. And the chances of, of an outside sexual affair drops, drops 59%. Get in the Word of God. We'll do our best to teach it to you, but get in the Word of God. I don't care if it's late at night or early in the morning on your lunch hour, get into the Word of God. Come to church, that's good. But get into the Word of God. Now listen to this. One more thing. Among Christians, engaging Scripture regularly is a strong predictor of a proactive faith. The person engaged in the Bible has significantly higher odds of giving financially to the church, plus 416%. Memorizing Scripture, 407% increase. Discipline, discipling others, discipline others, discipling others, 231% plus. Sharing their faith with others, 228% plus. Giving financially to causes other than their church, like, like a Samaritan's Purse, plus 218%. I'm telling you, the Word of God is a game changer for the child of God. All right, what's other? Prayer. Just take time to pray. Just take time to pray. All right. Uh, how about worship? Now, I put worship rather than church. Because I, if I understand it correctly, worship is more than just singing songs. Worship is a heart attitude that we come in and we praise the one who's worthy. That happens in your Sunday school class and studying the Word of God. I hope it happens while we're teaching the Word of God. It happens while our choir's leading us, while the praise band leading us, while David's leading us. When we come here, make a regular time of worship on Sunday. Just don't show up for church and say, I checked my box off. Come with the attitude that says, okay, God, I am here to make you big because you are worthy. Amen? I mean, I tell, these are game changers, guys. You'll be a better husband. You'll be a better wife. You'll be a better child. You'll be a better student if you apply this stuff. I'm telling you. The last thing is this lifestyle. Applying that word of God to your life and it will change your life. It's good disciplines. Good disciplines. The third, fourth thing is impactful service. Now, faith grows when we serve. Faith grows when we serve. Without. Our, our confidence in ourself increases and our confidence in God increases. It's when, Brent, we walk up to somebody and say, hey, listen, would you pray about teaching um, 12th grade? And the person's never taught before. And they say, we'll, we'll, we'll pray about that. 
they're going to go, they're going to pray about it first off, hopefully. They really are going to do that. And then they're going to go, they saw in me the potential to teach 12th grade. Wow. They saw something in me that maybe God could use me in that position. And then because you've never done it before, you're going to look at God and say, okay, God, I really feel like this is what you may do, but God, I've never done this before. If it's going to happen, it's going to have to be you. Confidence builders. Amen? Confidence builders. Now listen to this. Listen, faith grows in service. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So if we have gifts, we should... One more time. If we have gifts, we should use them. So every person has gifts, we should use them. So if you show up every Sunday and you're not doing something, or, or on Tuesday, or on Wednesday, or on Thursday, if you're not involved somewhere in the ministry of Dorsville, and you're part of the Dorsville family, and that means regular attenders and members... You need to hear this. God says, do something. I've given you a gift. Use them. He didn't give you a gift to put in your pantry. You know, some of you guys, you remember what Edith did? You know, you ladies do this born guys. You get, you get uh, handkerchiefs for Mother's Day. And what do you do if you're not careful? You put them in the drawer. And 18 years later, you die. And you go into the drawer, and guess what's still there? The handkerchiefs. I know probably it wasn't very meaningful, but your, your, your son, your daughter, your husband, your grandchild did not give you the handkerchiefs to, to put in a drawer. He gave them for you to blow your nose on. So use your handkerchiefs and use the gifts that God has given you. What does that look like? Well, if you had the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes with generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and, and the one who does act of mercy with cheerfulness. I'm telling you, as we use what God has given us and we're involved, our faith will grow. We've got to do the last one real quick. Last one is this. Impactful circumstances. Impactful circumstances. It simply says, I trust you. Now, I wish I could tell you that in the really easy times of my life is that's when my faith has grown. But when does your faith grow? Hard times, isn't it? That's why I think Paul gave us Romans chapter 8. You know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. A real faith builder is when we can see God in circumstances. And in those circumstances, even the diff- in fact, most likely difficult ones, we learn to say, God, I trust you. And what is faith? I trust you. I trust you. I'm not trusting me. I'm not trusting the federal government. I'm not trusting the state government. I'm not trusting a certain employer. God, I'm trusting you. You may use all those entities, but God, I trust you. Now, the bottom line is this. Proven statistically, when we apply these five things, guess what happens to our faith? It grows. It grows. Keep in mind, I'll close with this. Keep in mind that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that we are to be a people who walk by faith, we live by faith, and not by sight. Hugely important. So would you bow your heads right there, please? I want so much as a pastor... I want so much for us to grow in our faith together. I, I, I want so much for God to stretch you 
than where you've never been before. And that's going to happen through faith. For some of you, it's going to be your giving. For some of you, it's going to be your serving. For some of you, you know what it's going to be? It's you're going to say, God, my life is incredibly full, but I'm going to carve out 20 minutes a day, and that's time for me and you to get together. I don't know how it's going to be with three kids, all under, all under five years old. I don't know how it's going to happen or six years old. But God, I'm going to trust you. I want it to happen. And the great part is, you know how. You're, you're going to trust our staff to give you impactful teaching. You're going to trust in impactful relationships. You're going to seek out relationships that will make you strong. Perhaps you need to step up and mentor, mentor someone. You may need to be the strong person for someone. You're going to have impactful disciplines. You're going to have the disciplines of the Christian faith. You're going to try to serve even outside your comfort zone. And you're going to embrace in circumstances trusting God that He will bring good out of it. Now, just maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ yet. Perhaps you're here today to learn a little bit more. Now, I know we didn't get a chance to really get in that deep, but we sure did in worship. We, we heard how Jesus Christ, our King, died for us. That we could have forgiveness of sins. Our sins could be atoned for on the cross. And that's what we celebrate this week in the resurrection. My friend Brother Brent will be standing down front. And we would love to tell you not about Doorsville, not about preachers, not about church. We want to tell you about Jesus. So I'd like to pray together. This is our time of decision. If there's anything we can pray with you about, if there's a decision you'd make, church membership, baptism, whatever it might be, we want to be glad to help you with that. And let me go ahead and say this now. In about five minutes, six minutes, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's a very good time for us to prepare our hearts for that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But maybe already thinking about that, you know, partaking of the Lord's Supper. So, Father, thank you very much for the uh, freedom to preach this word today. Father, I pray it was edifying. I pray it was building, Father, in, in the people who follow Christ. Father, may we take these five things to grow a faith that you would be amazed at. Simply believing in who you are and what you can do. I pray that, God. Help us to recognize you as sovereign God. Father, creator of the universe. The only one true God there is. May we worship you. As such. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.